0: Welcome to the discussion program with me, Munira Shahed. The current African Cup of Nations taking place in Cameroon has been marred by controversy from the start. First, there was the chaos in the match between Tunisia and Mali when the Zambian referee decided to prematurely end the game twice before full time. Then the kickoff of the match between Gambia and Mauritania that was delayed by 45 minutes. The wrong national anthem being played three times for the Mauritanian team. The volatile security situation, especially in the southwest region of the country, the coronavirus pandemic, which has affected many players from most teams and a whole range of other logistical problems. All these challenges and more have made some people, especially from several European countries and North Africa, speak openly about the need for the tournament to be postponed. This has angered Cameroonian football officials and well-known former players. So... Was Cameroon really ready to host the tournament? And what could the government have done to avoid these issues? To discuss this and more, I'm joined by Hubert Kinko, a peace, security and development researcher across Africa and research associate and coordinator of the Peace, Security and Development Fellowship Programmes at the African Leadership Centre. Having previously worked with several international organisations, Hubert is originally from Cameroon. And Judith Masharia, an alumni of the African Leadership and King's College Fellowship Program and a consultant at the Football Foundation of Africa. Judith is also the Program Coordinator of the Africa Football Development Network and manages grassroots sport for development initiatives in Africa through her organization known as Roads to Goals. Judith is from Kenya. First, Hubert, why do you think we are seeing all these obstacles?
1: Hi, Munira. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Indeed, um, Cameroon was first scheduled to host the tournament in 2019. Um, But in in November of the year that followed in 2018, you know, it was stripped of its hosting rights. And the organizers cited um, a lack of confidence in Cameroon's readiness based on infrastructure and security concerns in the English speaking Northwest and Southwest regions of the country. The tournament then was given to Egypt and Cameroon was handed the rights to host um, in 2021. That was then pushed back a year um, due to the coronavirus pandemic and a year later than planned, here we are. And the tournament has successfully kicked off in Cameroon, um, despite all the hiccups. A useful starting point, Munira, in responding to your, your question for me is the premise that, um, for Cameroon, hosting a successful tournament matters on various levels for both on the pitch and off the pitch reasons. On the pitch, we see Samuel Leto, one of the most decorated African players um, recently uh, beginning his presidency of the, the National Football Federation in Cameroon, Fekafut. And he has expectations, very high expectations, that the, the, the team uh, that he's been a patron for will perform well. So on the pitch, the country will try to impress. Um, behind Egypt, Cameroon is the only country that has lifted uh, the tournament five times. Egypt has lifted it seven times. So Cameroon arriving at a competition in high spirit and in very good form. Off the pitch, um, there is no doubt that hosting any sports event provides an opportunity for any country to boost its economic development. And so for Cameroon, hosting the Afcon, you know, would secure huge amounts of inflows in terms of foreign capital. It would generate employment, it would make people want to spend money and therefore you find businesses in Cameroon having their eyes on a boost in revenue and an economic revival. From a political perspective, however, there have been concerns and hiccups. There have been serious obstacles and the first obstacle is that of security concern. You know, a lot of Cameroonians did not feel the, con- the country was safe enough as well as other Africans, you know, to host the tournament, given the security situation, not only in the Anglophone region, but also in the far north region, where Boko Haram continues to become, uh, to remain a threat. Um, just a few weeks ago, you know, in December of last year, doubts persisted about, about whether Cameroon was ready in terms of infrastructure. But Cameroon has actually revamped 10 of its stadia, you know, with the tournament taking place in five cities, Yaoundé, Douala, Garoua, Bafusam, and Limbe. And Limbe is the only city there where there are ongoing security concerns. Mm-hmm. And so the country is prepared despite all these hiccups. But for me, the most significant is the pandemic, the COVID-19, which has affected several squads.
0: If I hiccups, you know, include like... Teams coming out of a a match, not finding their bus to take them to their hotel. You talked about the pandemic. Uh, People have been, you know, tested. The result is negative. And then, like recently, we have seen how some players actually have tested positive. Now, some people would say that other countries have hosted big tournaments in Europe. uh, Qatar, uh, was it last month, December? The Arab Cup. The, The pandemic is global. Why has Cameroon not prepared properly for this? And why are players getting the wrong results? Why are we seeing all this confusion? I,
1: I think part of that, Munura, is that Cameroon itself is one of the countries that has not taken the COVID-19 pandemic very seriously. Mm-hmm. It has not put in place proper structures to mitigate you know, the risks of the spread of the pandemic itself. It's in a country, the Afghan is being held in a country where only, you know, just less than 3% of the population itself has been vaccinated. And this has uh, been a factor behind, you know, the empty stadia and the, you know, the, the low attendance as, as well, because, uh, the, the, the measures put in place by CAF, you know, to make sure that, uh, the, the risk of Spreading the virus remains low. Um, they are very costly for for a lot of Cameroonians in the first place, and so, um, you find a situation where you know tickets, for example, the price of tickets range from between five to thirty five, uh, US dollars, which is too high for a lot of people. And these challenges in terms of, uh, coordination, logistical issues, these these are not foreign. Uh, these, these are not uh, peculiar to Cameroon alone. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe as well, you know, there are, there have been challenges in terms of uh, logistics uh, in hosting tournaments because of the context of COVID-19. And so while this situation um, is unfortunate, you know, about Cameroon, um, I do not think that it overall affects you know, the successful nature of uh, and delivery, you know, of, of the tournament itself.
0: Uh, Judith, if I may come to you, uh, the refereeing scandal in the match between Tunisia and Mali, uh, it, it's not the first scandal. There were presidents before where African referees made mistakes or were accused of corruption. But some people describe the latest one as a farce. Uh, how do you think this Will affect the image of African football. How far will will the image of African football be tarnished
2: uh, this time? Uh, thank you so much, Munira. Um First of all, I'd like to explicitly state that the issue of referees not being consistent and, as openly have not agreeing with their decisions sometimes, especially now with the introduction of technology and all of these things. Um, and especially in the context of what happened uh in between the game between Maddie versus Tunisia. Um, I'd like to say it's not the first time that it happened, and I feel it's not um safe or rather right to just equate this as an African problem because there was a match in Sevilla in twenty twenty when the same thing happened and the referees stopped the game uh paused the game for before the game was over, and the same kind of situations continue to reoccur. And I don't want to, uh, justify this as a reason for this to continue to happen, especially in the African region where we are still struggling so much to regain our image and build a perception of this being a quality and, uh, well organized, uh, region in terms of organizing the African football. But I think this is not something that we should dwell on. Uh, there's so many positives that we can take up from in this African and other Africans before. Um, The quality of the game has definitely improved when you look at uh, the big teams, rather the big boys in the region. This is Algeria, uh, Senegal, all of them struggling against uh, the so-called underdogs. So I feel we focus too much on the negatives of the region. And this is why um, we continue to see the negative side being more perceived, because, of course, negative, negative publicity is what sells the most. And I feel this has been a huge problem for the African region. We don't get to share so many positive stories such that all these negative ones are the ones that take up uh, most of the time, take up most of the coverage. And this is where the African media is supposed to come in and shed light on the positive sides of uh, the African football because there are so many beautiful things that we've seen. Even so far, if you're talking about the socioeconomic development that the African has, uh, done for the uh, Cameroon context, uh, especially now that, that they're the hosting nation, there's so many things to look into. The security aspect, we know we do have so many challenges, but how have CAF and the local organizing committees handle this particular situation? And especially now going back into the COVID situation, as you mentioned, it's not the first time that uh, games have been postponed or leagues are uh, being halted because of COVID cases. So this is also not a problem uh, for the Cameroon context or, or CAF. So we've seen before that clubs would even use uh, positive test results to stop other teams from participating or maybe just limit their position. It happens because in the same situation where we're looking for, uh, when, when the, the national teams were calling up the players in European clubs, uh, in certain situations, there were cases of people stating that the, the cases were passed up the results were possibly also uh affected by, you know, the, man- the organizers were trying to make sure that the African players were not able to travel to their local countries and them tampering with the results is also something that happens in that context. So I feel there's so many things that we've not seen where this COVID test has been used as a strategy to win mm-hmm. games, uh, maybe to keep their players and I see this as something that is more uh, on a global basis, as a global problem, and not necessarily as an African issue.
0: You said that we should not focus on the negative and that the African media should come out and and explain what is actually happening, that this is not an African problem, this is a global problem. Do you think uh, the media in Africa is doing this right now about AFCON?
2: It's more of a 50-50 kind of situation. I've seen so many stories of, uh, people saying that there were attacks in this and this place. So some of them are not verified information. And of course, people always want to sell the, the, this kind of stories, especially the fact that Cameroon was the hosting nation. Some of these things were expected. So I feel they're not doing enough, uh, but they're trying. I've seen more positive, uh, stories uh, about the Akkon in this time and I feel we are heading in the right direction, although there's still so much that needs to be done because we've not seen the positive side of the stories. I still haven't come across a research paper that maybe looks into how, um, what AFCON has so far done for the Cameroon context in terms of the development, because we know the benefits of hosting such major uh, sporting events. We have not looked into how uh, the response of the community to the teams coming in and how, even though people say that, uh, Cameroon was in the midst of a, of a conflict, we've not, we've not seen this, uh, appear in any, anything in the, in the tournaments or in the games, uh, no attacks on the players, nothing. So there's, they feel there's so much positive things to talk about that are not being talked about. And it had to focus so much on the negatives, which, uh, is also bad press for us as Africans. We need to be the one to be telling the stories, uh, and not just the negative, but also the positive. A balance of both is, is, is more beneficial for us all. And just like every other tournament, um, the World Cup has always had issues of human rights. Uh, maybe the Liberals been uh, going through different kind of situation in terms of the human rights context, but we do not get to see them as much as we have seen the side of Africa. So I feel there needs to be a balance between the negative and the positive stories.
0: Hubert, if I may come back to you uh, the criticism mainly from Europe um, you know, about the current uh, version of AFCON uh, Liverpool manager for instance um, the, the, his, his team has lost you know, um, several uh, African players, um, he stoked Kind of controversy uh, when he called uh, Afghan a little game. Do you think that criticisms like these or comments like these are about whether Cameroon is actually ready or not, or the fear of those you know teams about the African players you know being released for a whole month?
1: Um, <laughs> Munira, so I, I I like and respect the Liverpool manager um, Jurgen Klopp very much, but no, this his statement is not justified. Um, it is simply disrespectful to the AFCON itself and of players of African origin who are playing in a tournament. But of course, more so, it is disrespectful to the African continent. That statement he made, um, an African journalist pressed him for an apology and he went on explaining what he meant um eventually apologizing if it was misconstrued. But Africans will not make such a statement about European competitions and get away with it. That statement was reflected in the the, the press release uh, by the European Clubs Association uh, that you know included the English Premier League, the French League, who were making the point that African players should not be released. Uh, you know, for the tournament and they, they try to justify it using the pandemic yet at the same time, European competitions have gone on and continue to be played despite the pandemic. They raised three, what they consider as fundamental concerns for their clubs when it comes to the release of players to, to their national teams. And, you know, they talked about their responsibility for ensuring their players' well-being, that it is well protected, and the fact that uh, clubs are not forced to be without players for club competition matches, and finally that all players uh, resume their activities with their clubs after national duty in a timely fashion. And they they thought that uh, CAF and its uh, member national associations had not addressed these three factors. And so for them, uh they felt that their players were at risk of not being respected in connection with the upcoming uh january or with 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 a, with a release for for the for the tournament which is already underway and so they give an explanation that falls within the si- a similar context within which uh tournaments are taking place in europe and they make Africa an exemption, I think it speaks volumes about the perception of Africa that has been for long uh, uh, projected you know in, 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 in studies um, you know in in, in sports in, in in policy spaces and that that just has to stop it is simply disrespectful and cannot be justified
0: Uuber uh, uh, some other countries uh, mainly north Africa or um Africa, north of the Sahara, Morocco, Egypt, for example, and even further afield, Qatar, that hosted the Arab Cup in December and about to host the World Cup, suggested uh, that Afghan happens on their soil, which and these criticisms or these comments, you know, angered. Uh, Cameroonian Football Federation president, former player Samuel Eto'o and also Roger Miller, a Cameroonian football legend, Roger Miller, who launched a scathing attack on the North African country, saying that they always spoil things for the rest of the continent. Uh, do you think they are justified in their reactions and how do you think this um, impacts on relations between North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa in the light of all this?
1: This is a very interesting one, Munira. Um I, I must say, first of all, that the the clamor to host what is the continent's biggest sports event is not surprising. And it's justified, that clamor, right? Looking at the benefits that come with with cities getting to host AFCON, for example, is enormous. You know, the infrastructural boosts that come with revamping social amenities as, you know, tourists are expected to visit the country's Economy that hosts also benefits a lot from the influx of people coming to patronize these tournaments, from the hospitality uh, uh, to the entertainment industries. You know, if you look at the Afcon that was held in 2019 in Egypt, it generated a revenue of over 80 million dollars. You know, according to to to, to the former CAF president, and this was a huge uh, increase from the revenue generated in the tournament held in 2015 in Equatorial Guinea and in Gabon in 2017. So it's reasonable for Egypt to want to host the tournament again, that much is justified. Qatar, for example, it does not make sense for Qatar to even start or be part of the conversation because it does not fit within whatsoever definitions African is. And so, you know, I cannot even give uh, any air time to respond to, to Qatar's clamor to want to host it. And so unsurprisingly, you know, with the clouds hanging over Afcon uh, build up, it's understandable for Samuel Eto'o to be fuming. It's understandable for, for, for Roger Miller to be fuming. And, and the argument is simply, if the Euros, for example, took place in the middle of a pandemic with full stadia in several cities across Europe, and there was no problem at all. Why would it be a problem for Afcon to be hosted in Cameroon within the, the same context, you know, mm-hmm. if all the measures are taken to uh, put in place to make sure that the, the, the tournament is held successfully? And of course, I I know that uh, the relations between, you know, uh, northern Africa and, you know, Africa sub, uh, south of the Sahara have been a bit you know, tense and some, some of it uh, is justified, I think because of the cultural um, relation between Northern Africa and the Middle East. Um, somehow there has been the tendency to separate uh, Africa further. But as a, a, a strong Pan-Africanist in my approach towards the continent, I think uh, we must continue to find ways uh, that bring us together and find, you know, the ways to also address the the things that, that further break us apart, as if we were not um, already divided, uh, divided enough. Mm-hmm. You know, football, which should be a uniting factor, and Judy is an expert on this, you know, can speak a bit more about this. Um, it's rather dividing Africa rather than uniting it. So I think moving forward, this, you know, sporting events, especially football on the continent, should not be a dividing denominator uh, between Mm -hmm. North and South of Africa.
0: Judith, you want to comment on that point about how football has actually divided the continent even
2: further? Absolutely. Um, I feel there's so many ways to look at it, especially if you're looking at from the development level of the sport and what different countries are doing to grow the game, um, the infrastructure that are being set up in the different countries, and the overall level that we assume that okay, say so maybe this and this region are more qualified, this and this region are way better. And I think this division has been more pronounced, especially now when we see um the the North African countries like uh Algeria, Egypt, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, all of these countries, um, you'd find that majority of the sub-Saharan uh fans would probably support them, uh, support them being kicked out of the tournament. And that's because of the perceptions that have have existed uh from way back. And sometimes I like to believe that we need to start by building from what we have. And this whole thing of pointing fingers at each other, as Hubei said, has been one of the most divisive factors. Uh, we mm-hmm. fail to learn from each other. We do not offer any kind of Inside, I've never actually seen any kind of benchmarking or in a sitting where the different coaches or the different federations come together uh, to maybe discuss on how to grow the game as a region. And this is why we we continue to lag behind because every country is after their own interest and just wanted to be seen as the you know the better country in terms of organizing the better country in terms of quality and all that. And we've seen this uh, tournament, uh, especially this this year's edition. break all of these barriers, break all of this perceptions that we've had. Uh for example, who'd have thought that Ethiopia would be such a huge force. But being an East African country, first of all, people just assume that East Africa is the worst when it comes to sport, football in particular. Mm-hmm. So I uh we look at uh countries like Gambia, uh who are just debutants in the in the tournament and how incredible they've been so far. We look at Mali. Atintas had the youngest team so far and they've had the Af- the coach of African descent, take them through the playoffs and up until now doing incredibly well. And I've I've always had this problem, especially with African countries, uh failing to be the ones that reaffirm their position and um, you know, quality and who they are in the in the world. Because if you look at the statistics, say for example, with the twenty ten World Cup of the six countries, six African countries that were there, only one of them had an African coach. Uh, in the 2019 edition in Egypt, uh, 13 coaches uh, were not of African descent. And right now we think we have 15 of them all from African descent. And this is where we've seen the biggest competition, uh, the most entertaining edition, I believe. And this just goes, again, to reaffirm that just believing in what we have, building in what we have, and you can just – what we have to grow the kind of vision that we have for African football. Um, we've seen so much dedication from the players, from everyone. Um, people have been complaining that the star players that uh we were called up from their European teams have not been very instrumental. Players like Mohamed Salah, uh, Sadio Mane, people that we had huge hopes for. Riyad Mahrez, for example, who was supposed to carry his Algerian team, but we've not seen so much. And all of this backlash against the African region, all because of this individual players. Okay, for obvious reasons, maybe because they're only allowed to come back into the national uh, teams a week, literally a week before the tournament. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, How do you expect these players to have huge impact on the team they only appear a week before the tournament? If we look at the preparations that the European teams get to have before any kind of major tournament, it's incredible. Months and months of preparations. So, why, why does, why is it, why is the case different when it comes to the African region? And these are the kind of contradictions. And, um, I, I fail to understand because we talk about uh, mutual respect and all of that, especially on the rules of FIFA. And I feel this has not been replicated for the African region. And in as much as we have so many negatives that we can look into, but what mm-hmm. are they doing to guide us or maybe to provide any additional insight? Again, I, I once again just like to insist on the fact that African countries just need to come together and build on this on their own. Mm-hmm. Because uh, as things have been so far, and as they will continue to be, uh, we'll always be that region that uh, always feels marginalised, uh, mm-hmm. especially in the football sector, when we are the ones who have the biggest pool of talents. And I know we literally carry majority of this European league, so. Um, it it becomes very challenging for me to understand.
0: Indeed, Uh, I was going to ask you the question. I mean, African countries always say that other countries, mainly in Europe, the U.S., Don't allow them to progress, but what are they doing themselves to, to improve? Um, We haven't heard any African official, you you know, from any African government uh, coming forward and saying that all this, you know, all this propaganda about us and about what's going on with Afghan is, is not justified, is wrong. We are doing our best here. We haven't heard
2: anything so far. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's part of my problem as well, because we need to be the ones to stand up for ourselves and speak on our issues. We cannot wait for it because majority of the people who have been speaking up are maybe athletes from, um uh, say, England. Um, people like George Ware. George Ware also spoke against it. We cannot be relying on uh the people in the diaspora to fight our wars because we are the ones who are in the context. We are the ones who are experiencing all of these challenges. And that's part of my problem. We have so much inferiority complex. Um, especially when it comes to matters that we are forced to come out and maybe speak out against something that we feel maybe, oh, our funding will be cut down if we speak against this. Uh, maybe we'll not be able to have proper investments. But what exactly have these people done for you that you'd be scared to defend your dignity, you know? So that that's also an, a, a problem with the leadership. Uh, terrible, terrible, if you ask me. Um I feel they need to have Stood up more and maybe this will be the one thing that, uh, you know, builds this, uh, within us. Be having such a successful tournament and I can only imagine if we had these leaders coming out and speaking against some of these things and then moving on to having such a successful tournament. I mean, it will mean so much for the region and also for the future generations because at the end of the day, and this is something I always talk to young athletes that I come across because always everyone always wants to work to Build, uh, maybe grow to a profession, going to a professional athlete playing in Europe when you can actually build some of these things, um, locally. And it all mm-hmm. starts with us, um, building that proper communication system where we can all learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Sharing knowledge, sharing knowledge is our biggest problem, especially in our local context. That's where if someone had a certain opportunity today, they'll be afraid to share it to someone else. Maybe, oh, this person will get it and I won't. And that, those are one of the things, especially on a grassroots level that continue to, uh, uh, kill the industry. Uh, people feeling like they need to just protect their interests and, uh, corrupt leaders, you know, all of these things you're starting from a lack of leadership that first uh, believes in the identity of being African, believes that, uh, um, we do have the capacity to build all of these things that everyone aspires to, to have, uh, or things that we see in European football, we can actually build it from here. We just need to know where to start from and not use the European standards as the actual benchmark. There are definitely things you can take from them, but our contexts are different. Our challenges are different uh, If basically you can't uh, local athletes suffer from basic needs like lack of boots and balls. But this is very different in the European context. So how do we empower some of these things from the ground up? And I feel that this could be one of the ways by just building in ourselves and understanding that um, for us to for other people to believe in us, we need to first believe in ourselves.
0: Judith Masharia manages grassroots sports for development initiatives in Africa through her organization known as Roads to Goals. And Hubert Kinko, peace, security and development researcher across Africa, and Research Associate and Coordinator of the Peace, Security and Development Fellowship Programs at the African Leadership Center. The producer was Njoki Ngunye. Thank you for listening to the discussion program on the ALC Pan-African Radio. For this and other programs, please visit our website at alcafricanradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at radioalc.com and on Facebook at ALC Radio numeral number one. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at
2: africanradio.com.